1: Got you six, We got your back Got you six. We got your
0: back. I got you six Sixers. What an absolute treat we have. Dr. Mike Thurtle, CEO of the Gary Sinise Foundation, is joining us today on the podcast. Yes, the same Gary Sinise that you know and love. Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Dr. Thurtle, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Oh, thanks, Tony. It's great to be here today. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. What I love so much about the Gary Sinise Foundation and the purpose driven mission that you and the whole team are on is it's always about doing a little bit more. Where do you think that kind of came from? Is that something that was instilled in you in a young age? Or like was it something in the Air Force or at the, you know, the Air Force Academy that really kind of was a pivotal point where it was like, all right, I know I'm giving, but I can just do a little bit more for others and continue to serve?
1: Well, honestly, it's a phrase that Gary Sinise uh, coined here at the foundation many, many years ago. Um, Gary's been serving veterans and first responders for over three decades. And that's actually a quote of his. He says, "We can always do a little bit more for folks. I mean personally, in my credo as well, I, I think I've lived that as well to try and help people. I mean, so I'm super passionate. just like you are, Tony. I know you're a, a West Point grad and and I'm a service academy grad too. It's about helping people. you know that's what brought me here to to work with Gary was his vision and passion for mission. And I call myself a mission guy. I'm a mission guy. So I focus on mission. I love serving people. And I truly believe each one of us can do that. You're doing this through this podcast too. You got, you've had marvelous guests here in the past. And through your leadership helping people, it's great. So I just feel really honored to be here and helping you fulfill your vision of service too.
0: I really appreciate those kind of words, sir. Would you say if you had to take one thing from your time in the Air Force, whether it was at the Air Force Academy in beautiful Colorado or anywhere else while you were in service, Is it the mission that really is kind of what you constantly implement daily, or is there something else that you can kind of say, hey, I took this away, and it's really been an absolute life changer?
1: Yeah, to me, it's always been about helping. You and I both served in the military, and I think there's a unique form of service in that regard. Um, I grew up in the farm fields of Illinois. And as you said, I went to the Air Force Academy out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and To me, the moment that I had a chance to learn about the academy, the academies, I should say, because I think they're all beautiful, and learn about what that looked like to go serve. I came from a family where my grandfather served in World War II. My dad was in during the Korean time frame, and uh, I'm the first one in my family to serve as an officer in my family. And to be able to be able to help people in the country to protect and defend the Constitution, I think is just an incredibly beautiful form of service that harkens back to, you know, the foundation of our country. And so to me, it's a touchstone to be able to have the opportunity to have served the country in that capacity as a uniform officer. But then today to be here at the Gary Sinise Foundation and to live a mission where we're giving back to veterans and police and, and fire and their families every day, because they're truly the heroes who protect and defend every one of us, whether it's in the military or domestically through through first responders.
0: Do you have a specific example or story when you were growing up from your father or grandfather that really kind of sat with you about showing what giving to others and serving others looked like, other than, you know, clearly their service in the wars?
1: Yeah, I think there's various forms of service. And obviously, the military is one way to do that. I come from a family that was always committed to helping other people, like many of us are. I think there's something very unique in the fabric of our society as Americans that lends itself to that. So I don't feel like I'm unique or I came from some sort of unique setting. To me, it was more about just participating, you know, and helping your fellow man. And to me, that was instilled early on as a kid from my folks, you know, whether that meant helping people locally in the community or, you know, eventually in the military or other forms of service. Um, I always looked at my future career as I always wanted to join the Peace Corps (laughs) and go over and help people internationally, too. You know, so to me, it's about it's different forms of service. It comes in different walks, whether you're a teacher or a nurse or doctor. I've I've had people in my extended family who've been in those various walks and really respect them in that regard. So I wouldn't say it's one unique thing. It's more of just to me, I think, being part of being American, you know, and being able to support people and help people in your community. And I think there's faith components to that. Um, I think there's other aspects of patriotism affiliated with that. But, you know, it, it, it happens all the time here in this wonderful country. And I, and I look at it as my mission to help other people, but also inspire other people. And I think that's what you're doing here with the podcast, too, is trying to inspire people, you know, to really pay it forward and to enable this country to be even better tomorrow than we left it before. So that's kind of why I'm here, too.
0: I'm glad we're on the same mission. As you <laughs> said, you talk to you look to inspire people to serve. And that can come in many forms, like we've talked about, you know, both on the podcast as well as the Gary Sinise Foundation, is service can come in many forms and many shapes. As you look to inspire other people, what tends to be like a barrier that kind of set people stop from serving? Like they feel like they're over overextending? Or like what what do you kind of see as like that one challenge that really kind of stops somebody and your your job is to help reduce that barrier to service?
1: Yeah, I think... I'd frame it a certain kind of way and saying, how do we get people to start? I think it's not a stopping as much as a starting. I think a lot of people don't know in some cases where they can contribute. And I think it's incumbent upon somebody like me and in this organization to give them an avenue through which they can literally lift up their neighbors, you know, lift up their fellow service members. Um, so to me, it's about providing opportunities for people to see how they can participate. I think many people want to help. They just don't know where to go to help, you know, and they don't know what those opportunities look like. So as I continue to grow the foundation and help more people under Gary's leadership is to be able to do that, is provide more opportunities, for example, and also more opportunities that people can participate. And I truly think that for the most part, I mean, most of our our fellow Americans want to participate. In some cases, they may not just know how, You know, or where did they go or how can they jump into an event or how can they meet a military service member? I mean, the family I grew up in in Illinois, we didn't have a military base around us. You know, so the military wasn't a foreign concept to me as a kid, but I didn't grow up on a base. You know, I grew up in a a community where there wasn't a military presence. And so my goal as CEO here is to help us figure out how can we light up the mission more to help tons of people, and be able to engage people in our our country and our communities to be able to participate more.
0: Now, as we look at that challenge, right, of lighting people up, what are you doing as well as the foundation in order to help people do that? And like you said, get started in serving and lifting up their neighbor.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is we have several pillars of what our mission looks like. For example, one of our pillars is what we call our RISE program. And... That stands for restoring independence and supporting empowerment. Where we build homes for veterans and first responders, typically the most significantly wounded. They may have lost legs or arm and legs, or been in a conflict where they're significantly limited in terms of mobility. And so we build these beautiful smart homes across the country. You know, so one things we try to do is engage the community, where we will hire local builders. We'll engage local congressional staffs. We will get people to participate. Um, A more direct way is through one of our events we call Serving Heroes, where we literally will go to a base or a 911 dispatch center or a fire station, and we'll serve meals to people. Gary started this many years ago. um, When he was in New York um, acting, as well as uh, other activities professionally, he would literally, if he found out there was a veteran in a restaurant or uh, in a situation, he would go up to them and literally buy them a meal. You know, so part of our mission is to say thanks to people. It's all about the thank you. You know, so to us, there's, I think really boiling our mission down to two components is the thank you part of saying thanks for what you're doing for us. And the second one is to help people heal, um, which is our story also. As you probably remember, as you led off the podcast today, Gary played Lieutenant Dan in the movie Forrest Gump. And uh, I had not watched that movie literally in about 15 years prior to coming to the foundation this last year. (laughs) And now I've watched it like five times. And I've watched it because every time, not because he told me to watch it, but because I enjoy, it's one of my favorite movies, outside of Apollo 13, which is the other movie he's in where he plays Ken Mattingly in that. In the Forrest Gump story, if you remember this one, the character Geary plays, the Lieutenant Dan character, he's an army lieutenant, it's in Vietnam, And Lieutenant Dan has a history of family members who've been wounded or killed in war (laughs) over time, which is not funny, but it's just just this parody on service in a way where Lieutenant Dan's not going to make it out of this one. It's sort of the, the entrance that you see. And he does get wounded. And Forrest goes in there and saves him and carries him out of the jungle. And literally, there's this rest of the movie is focused around the Lieutenant Dan character and how he's dealing with this significant significant physical and also psychological issue that he has to deal with. And in that movie, it goes from a state of like shock to grief, to depression, to towards the end, he comes out of this Lieutenant Dan character comes out of this and he's healed psychologically. Um, He's got a great job. He has gotten married. And at the end of the movie, you see him standing there in a suit with his wife. And you're like, he's gone through this complete transformation. And so if I had to boil down our mission into one vignette, that's it. It's the Lieutenant Dan character in that movie. We try to tell people, get back on the playing field. you know, Not just say thank you to them, which is incredibly important, but to get them back on the playing field to be productive members of this beautiful country and society this republic we have, and then for them to be able to use that experience to help other people. And so when I look at what Gary's given to us as a mission, there's a lot of, in my assessment, a lot of divine intervention that's through that movie into this mission. And uh, we carry that forward every day. That's what I wake up every day to do is to really recreate that scenario of creating the positive outcome for the Lieutenant Dan here.
0: It's really looking at like Joseph Campbell's story of the hero's journey, right? Where they, they go through that hardship, they come out the other side and they, they pay, like you said, pay it forward. On occasion, though, you have to meet people where they're at right? Not on occasion, mm-hmm. but constantly you're meeting people where they're at and where they are in that in that range of emotion and feeling and vulnerability can sometimes be very raw because it's still so new. So when you're trying to say thank you to someone and they don't feel like they've earned it or deserve it, obviously it's an internal struggle, but how do you present an environment where somebody can then flourish in that opportunity to kind of get through that and realize it's okay to ask for help and receive help and gratitude from other people?
1: I think A lot of it has to do with grace. I think going into a situation and understanding and empathizing with that individual and what they've been through, I think is a start to that process. I like what you said about meeting them where they're at. That's exactly what we do in this mission, meeting people where they're at, not bringing them to us, but meeting them. And when I look at the kinds of programming that we have, we're very, very focused on trying to create the experience for that individual so that they can heal. And giving them various opportunities, um, a buffet line, if you will, of different opportunities from which they can choose, that works for them. We have an organization that we are part of with the Bernie Marcus Foundation, Arthur Blank Foundation, have started called the Avalon Network. And the Avalon Network is a form of healing. It's a system of traumatic brain injury uh, assessments and healing in the medical, clinical setting at university medical centers across the country. And there's another component to more of the post-traumatic stress component of the psychological well-being. part of what we call the warrior path networks. So we have these kind of two circles of TBI and PTS and helping people heal. And so in the warrior path side of things, there's a gentleman by the name, Ken Falk. Ken's a great leader, um, retired Navy EOD. Ken started an organization called Boulder Crest and Boulder Crest is located in two locations in Arizona and out in Virginia. And Ken started this system of how we can take these warriors, these heroes, and bring them into a non-threatening situation where they can talk about their experiences, where they can discuss with trained professionals about, you know, how do you get back on the playing field and what does that look like? The whole concept of the Avalon Network, the word Avalon uh, comes from the King Arthur genre of literature, where Avalon was a place where the Knights could heal if they were wounded in battle. So I love the metaphor of us providing an environment where people can heal. And as we all know, it's about providing that venue to set the table and to allow them to sit down and and take that first bite, and then literally understand what can make them better, what can make them stronger. Um, As you know too, Tony, having been a service member, there are second and third order effects to when people don't heal right. And that can manifest in terms of their families and it can manifest in other really negative things. At the end of the day, this Avalon network, this idea is to help people heal to prevent drastic conditions like suicide, um, which are terminal. And really our job is to try and figure out how we can help people heal people and do this in the, in the best medically and psychologically sound way that we can do for folks.
0: What I love about the analogy of the, you know, getting back in on the field, right? It's not like it's a stadium where there's only one entrance and exit out. It's this giant open field and there's many entrance points. And because of what you're doing with Avalon and everyone else that you've mentioned, it allows many entrance points for people to come in, like you said, where they're at and then heal properly. Because we, as we all know, scar tissue is tougher than skin because it doesn't have blood vessels, hair follicles, things like that. But if it doesn't hear properly, the mobility, the functionality of wherever that injury occurs can be very limiting. So I think that's extremely powerful. Totally
1: agree. Yeah. I think, I think you hit it right in the head. It's very powerful metaphor, very powerful process. And we're seeing very positive results. Um, There's a lot of people seeking solutions right now to this issue. And this goes way beyond just the military too. I mean, we Working with first responders. Now, I never was a police officer or a firefighter, but having hung out with these guys for the last year and learning more about their culture and how they do things, they are very similar. They're different, but they're very similar in some ways about the military culture. And in our country, I think historically in these professions, um, we've, there's been a perspective and attitude of if you get hurt, you just go back on the playing field. You know, it's like high school football, so to speak. And so we're trying to do, trying to take a step back and go, you don't need to rush back on the field right now. You know, you need to heal yourself. You need to go to that place of Avalon, if you will, and be able to participate in something that's regenerating for you. Because it's one of these, if you can't put the oxygen mask on yourself first, how are you going to help the people next to you? You know, and that's exactly where we're at. When I look back to this organization, I look back to Gary's history as a humanitarian, as a philanthropist, he's been reaching out and trying to help people. Like I said, for over three decades, nearly four decades now, and he comes from he comes from a line of service where it's really important to help your fellow man. You know, and that spirit guides us here every day. Um, I talked a little bit about our home building and our you know other mission components. We do something else too for Gold Star families called Snowball Express, where we actually fly families down to Walt Disney World uh, for a week and help them heal. You know, we've got a great, it's a fun event for the kids. It's some respite for the the parents. Uh, Most of them are moms, The dads are typically the ones who perished in battle or in conflict, and it's a great opportunity. And we stay with those families as long as they want for us to stay with them in the sense of over time. So we host other kinds of events to help those young people grow and mature and make decisions for the future they'll never be able to replace that parent there's no doubt it's in their heart right but it's being able to help them make good choices for the future and understand and put things in context so that they can then have healthy families and they can have healthy relationships and really live a kind of life where they are empowered so we we touch people that way and it's through that touch mission that really enables us to be able to help folks. Um, Gary, Gary, when he started this mission, he's the guy who goes to Walter Reed. You know, the first time somebody shows up after a, a combat issue, you know, and they show up at Walter Reed and they're being healed and they're in the hospital, he'll be there. He'll kneel down next to them. He'll talk with them. He'll pray with them. Um, he'll be there. And that's what we do too. We will never leave these people. And we tell them that we're never going to leave. And we'll always be there to help them when they need that help. Unfortunately, As we both know, in the active duty, you know, sometimes after you're out of active duty, it's a different ballgame. You don't have that kind of support mechanism socially in many cases, or just through resources. And so we kind of provide that for folks
0: in this. Where in a a point in your life to kind of flip it, right? We talked about helping others heal. Where have you had to heal and kind of step away and go to Avalon and find what you needed in order to come back stronger?
1: Man, this is getting deep. (laughs) Um, I could take all day talking about my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think every one of us needs that time to heal. I think the way I've been running here too, I've been running pretty hard for the last eight months since I've been the CEO. I'm actually going to take a couple of days here in another couple of weeks just to throttle back and, and see my wife and be able to enjoy time with her. And we both kind of are running different directions at the moment, which is not unique so I don't want to make this about me, but you know, every one of us needs to take that step back. So for me personally, it's spending time with her. It's um, it's spending time with my kids. It's going to church. It's literally getting to the gym, which I've been very, very not good about lately. <laughs> but it's it's really being able to recharge in your own kind of way. I mean, what what gets me lit up might not be what somebody else needs, you know. And so for me personally, it's about it's more about time to reflect. And it's more time to basically take a step back. I'm not a big reader. And that's kind of funny because I hear a lot of leadership speakers about, you know, you're not a leader unless you're a reader. And I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I believe it. Because <laughs> I think there's experience, you know, and I reflect a lot on experience. And I think a lot about construct and think about how people behave. And reading definitely helps. so I don't want to poo-poo that. More of a Netflix documentary kind of guy. But I like ancient history. I read a lot about that, you know, in the sense of studying it. I like going to seminal pieces of like how people behaved a long time ago, because honestly, people don't behave that much differently today. Um, and I think understanding that psychology and how people did things helps us understand things today. And that's kind of what I carry in my leadership model was experiential base. And, and I used to teach leadership at Northwestern University for about 10 years. Um, so I feel like the literature is kind of the same. It just gets kind of recycled a different kind of way from time to time as we, we look at things.
0: And there's something you talked about, whether it's, you know, you're watching a Netflix documentary on, you know, how ancient people lived and operated with one another to like where you need to heal and understand it's all intentional, right? You you recognize what you need specifically for you to live that life so you can continue to serve others because I love the analogy, right? You have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can continue to serve other people. And if you're not doing that, you're essentially becoming a liability across, across the field, and then people have to come and help you.
1: I totally agree with you. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably not your poster child for doing everything right on this front. But I, um, I truly believe that you do have to take that step back. Um, I think every one of us has those indications when you need to do it. I've been in relatively stressful organizational systems. In my previous organization, before I came to the Gary Sinise Foundation, I led a turnaround of a nonprofit, um, which was going under. And we were literally losing about $42 million a year when I stepped in. And that was very challenging. It was very challenging. Prior to that, I was at the Rand Corporation for most of my career. And I was a Pricewaterhouse consultant after I did my PhD work after active duty. And uh, those organizations like Price Waterhouse or any big four consulting firm or honestly, the military services or at Rand, those are pretty high performing organizations. I mean, you're kind of like on the, the top end of the curve, so to speak. And, uh, whereas the previous organization I was in was not, and it was very difficult because I was going into it going, I had to go back to first principles of leadership. And part of first principles was you got to find great people to be with you in the fight. So I focused a lot of time there on finding the best people to join me in my fight so that we could, we could win that one. And we did. And so in the military, for the most part, people are excellent. You know, I have got a normal distribution of folks, but for the most part, they're excellent. You get outside the military, and a lot of people have a change, have a difficult in that cultural shift, you know, from military to non-military. And part of that has to do with leadership; is they're not used to the leadership models out there outside of the military, because it's kind of the wild, wild west. And I think most people who are able to adapt effectively, just like in combat, you're adapting in the private sector, is your ability to be able to react and adapt your your leadership model to a way that that's effective and things. And. I've always felt like I've learned as much from the private sector or more of leadership than I did in the military because there's not as many good examples in the private sector. (laughs) And being able to learn from that's important too, I think, you know, as you you work your way through things.
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate you taking the time for us to learn from you today and the amazing work that you and the team are doing at the Gary Sinise Foundation. But before we go, I have one final question I have to ask you. Dr. Mike Thurtle. how are you better today than yesterday?
1: Well, for me literally, I was able to help some people today that didn't, I didn't even know about yesterday. So that's one example that I was able to help some folks today that when I woke up yesterday morning, they didn't even exist in my, my Rolodex. So I look at that as a literal improvement.
0: Sir, again, thank you for sharing your time, sharing your methods, your strategies. And of course, thanks for having our six. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Got Your Six podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share with a friend. Pass it along. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the of Six Podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday.
1: I don't know what you've been told, Sixers.